So thank you, and I'm going to offer a talk, and I'm actually going to record it to see what happens. And um, actually, I got this recently from Jan. Actually, I've seen this before many years ago, and it's a message from the Hopi elders. It was actually written in 2001. 19 years ago. It feels very pertinent to today. It says, we've been telling people that this is the 11th hour. And now we must go back and tell people that this is the hour. And here there are things that must be considered. Where are you living? What are you doing? What are your relations? Where is your water? It's time to know your garden and to speak your truth. And to my fellow swimmers, there's a river flowing now very fast and it is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They are being torn apart and will suffer greatly. Know that the river has a destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river and keep our heads above the water. And I say, see who is there with you and celebrate at this time in history, we are to take nothing personally. Least of all ourselves. And for the moment that we do, our spiritual growth and journey will come to a halt. So please take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. The time of the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves, banish the word struggle from your attitude and vocabulary. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that, all that we must do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we have been waiting for. I love that teaching. Take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. That's a good one. And it does feel like we're in the 12th hour or whatever, the hour of now and uh, in the sense of being in the midst of this uh, pandemic and the uncertainty of not knowing uh, what's going to happen. We're in our fifth week, fifth week of the intensive meditation retreat that actually is our life. But when it, I love when it also says at the end, that last line, we are the ones we've been waiting for. And to, of course, to keep our heads above the water. What does that mean in the relation to the Dharma? Keeping our heads, heads above the water. And uh, it reminds me of, uh, in the Dharma teachings, of these 10 beautiful perfections or paramis. And its sources go back to the time of the Bodhisattva, when um, the Bodhisattva had the intention to become a Buddha. And our current Buddha's teachings, Siddhartha Gautama, 
once he recognized that he wanted to become a Buddha, which was many eons ago, amazing with these stories, and how long is an eon? Sometimes it's explained as when a bird flies over the highest mountain in the world once every hundred years and brushes its fingers against the mountaintop. And an eon is that, it, that, that that wing once every hundred years brushing on the mountaintop flattens that mountain into a ground surface. <laughs> Such is the, the, the value that the, the time spans of things are just extraordinary. But it's said that there was a, a person that um, in another time, in another place, in a far off galaxy, there was another Buddha named Dipankara. And Dipankara was, was walking along and there was evidently a great rain the, the day before and there was a big puddle. And this person named Sumedho saw the Buddha walking up ahead and felt to himself, I, 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 I have so much admiration for the teachings of the Dharma. I don't want the Buddha to get his feet wet. I'm gonna go lie down on that puddle so that the Buddha can walk on top of me so he won't get his feet wet. And so um, Sumedho being so devout in his faith um, went into that puddle and lied down and the Buddha went, walked over him. The Buddha saw him and, and decided to walk over him. He's, he read the, his mind in the sense of understanding he wanted to keep the Buddha's feet uh, not wet and that was a beautiful offering and that he felt he should accept it. And as he was walking over, Sumedho also was being so blown away with these teachings of the Dharma, the benevolence, the wisdom that Sumedho made the wish himself to one day become a Buddha. And the Buddha read his mind and then said to him and to the others, you will become a Buddha. And so, so in eons, your name will be Siddhartha Gautama. And so the Buddha that we speak about now is Siddhartha Gautama. And his intention to become a Buddha was way back during the times of another Buddha called Dipankara. And my teacher, Venerable Tungpulu Toya Kabaye Sero, the world peace teacher from Ghost Mountain in the forest. He used to tell this very funny story of these three people that were meeting together many eons ago. And they were each talking about their aspirations. And one of them said um, that I want to become a Buddha. And the other two fellows said, oh, you, that's just, that's going to take eons. You, that's crazy. Think of something else. And, but now that person really wanted to become a Buddha. And then that person eventually did become a Buddha and then looked back in their ability to look back into past lives and, and ran across those two people that he was talking with a few eons ago and recalled when that intention was to become a Buddha. And, uh, and then wondered now, I wonder where um, these two fellows are in the realm of samsara and the realms of birth, old age, disease, and death through the eons. Where are they now? And one was a, a monkey swinging in the tree and another was a cow in the pasture. So I think the moral of that story is never underestimate your intentions. Your intentions are very powerful. When they will take uh, and ripen, we don't know but may we never underestimate the powers of our intentions in awakening and heartfulness.
This is the first step. This is the, this is the beginning of karma. It's called chaitana, the intention, the will, the volition that then informs our mind in our words and our actions. So the power of our intention creates our heavens and our hells. The power of our mind. But it's said that after Sumedho took this vow to become a bodhisattva, one who wants to become a Buddha, he had to undergo trainings in perfections to, to cultivate various qualities inside oneself that are the ingredients, the essential components of supporting awakening of a Buddha. And these are called the 10 perfections. And there's many stories about when the Bodhisattva through lifetime, through lifetime, sometimes as a bird, sometimes as a lion, sometimes as a human being, these, these are all found in the canonical literature in the Jataka tales. It's something like 668 or it might be more than that. I have to go be more accurate with it, but it's the amount of different lifetimes that the Bodhisattva lived in order to master these perfections so that one day could become a Buddha. So these perfections, so the Jataka tales are wonderful stories for those of you with grandchildren or children, you can pick these up as wonderful, fabulous tales of, of humility and learning wisdom and so forth, that these were all part of the training of a Bodhisattva to become a Buddha. So it's found in what's known as the Jataka tales, the different lives of the Bodhisattva mastering these perfections. So again, uh, and actually I haven't said yet, the 10 perfections is, the first is generosity. So the reason actually coming back to the Hopi elders is to keep our head above the water in these turbulent times. These 10 perfections to me are great allies for us to help us to keep our heads above the water in the midst of the turbulence of these times. So the one quality is generosity. Remembering generosity doesn't mean putting out your checkbook, but it could. But generosity of, of, of helping a neighbor, so walking down the street and saying hello to a fellow person that's, that's wearing a mask. You might not even be able to see their full face, but we're sharing this together as a collective community. The acts of generosity is, is the first of the trainings of the Bodhisattva. The second is our behavior, our conduct, our living virtuously. That We speak about the five precepts of not harming, killing living beings, not to take that which is not given, which builds the sense of trust. Not harming with our sexuality builds the sense of respect. Our practice of wise speech bridges the gap, brings us communication, helps support healing and, and connection. The practices of, um, of, of clarity, the, the practices of not using intoxicants that delude the mind. So these are very, very wonderful qualities as part of developing the, the perfection of, of our actions, of sila, of virtue. And, and, and the third is a quality called renunciation, which actually for many of us, when we hear that word, we get very scared because often it means, what is it that I'm gonna give up that I really love? 
but actually there's a, there's a beautiful translation of renunciation that I really like. It's the giving up of self-destructive tendencies, those things that don't really serve us. And I, lo I love that little twist. It's like giving up what doesn't serve us, that, that is more destructive. The fourth is the cultivation of wisdom, palipanya, the, the qualities of seeing clearly into things, understanding. There's the quality of energy, that we're, we're cultivating our sense of energy and presence, our endurance, our ability to uh, become interested in, in su the supporting factor of energy in our practice. It's the other quality of patience. My teacher used to say, Venerable Tangpulu Toyakabaya Seropia, that patience is the way to nirvana. There is nothing greater than patience. And I love that as a teaching. And I know early on living in the monastery as a very younger person and much more impatient with things. And, and I just would just scratch like, how do you become patient? He'd always talk about patience is the way. I get impatient listening to him talk about patience all the time. And then I began to realize, and it was actually a really beautiful teaching that I realized that the, that the more that I could actually sit and acknowledge my impatience and be with it and investigate it and open to it and, and find space for it, that that was the very ingredient that supported me to become more patient. It was very interesting. My ability to be with impatience and acknowledge it helped support me to become a little bit more patient. So patience is a quality, the sense of truthfulness. This is another quality and perfection that we're trying to live with integrity, telling the truth. And of course, I think we want to be wise in the, speak, in the sense of communication of is it timely, is it useful, but to, to this transparent honesty. I know at times in my life, I, I haven't been as honest with myself to acknowledge uh, what what's what I'm experiencing or what I'm feeling and 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 you know and the great freedom of finally being able to acknowledge with truthfulness what's actually here in my heart or if there's something in a relationship how, what is there a way that I can truthfully and and kindly be able to communicate that if that's important to me so the sense of commitment to truth to truthfulness so the next quality is determination. There's a sense of resolve, a sense of determination that I, I will, there's an intention, a, a resolve, a very powerful part of our practice. It is said that after the Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama practicing uh, with the, the, a lot of years of, of concentration meditation, then practice, practicing self-mortification and then realizing that if he did more of this, he was going to die. So he stopped these practices of severe self-mortification, came uh, underneath the tree, and of course nourished himself beforehand to regain his strength. And, and when he took his seat underneath the Bodhi tree, he took a resolve, a determination, I am going to stay here. I'm not going to go off doing this. I'm not going to go off doing that. I'm going to stay here and, and seek within this meaning of life, that there was no other place to go, nothing else to do. There was a strong resolve, a determination to awaken. 
The next quality is the quality of loving kindness, of metta, of that which softens the hardened heart, a beautiful quality. You know, when we look actually in Mandarin and Chinese language, the character for mindfulness is both mind and heart. It's a unified, it's one practice somehow in English. We just don't have quite the word. We, we, we call it mindfulness, but we could call it perhaps um, uh, heartfulness or kindfulness. But the sense of, there's a sense of quality of it within this practice that there's a, it's infused with the qualities of love and kindness, of compassion, of sympathetic joy, these qualities of the heart. And the last of the perfections is um, this balancing factor, equanimity. And equanimity is again, uh, the sense of balance, of the understanding of the nature of things. And it's not, and I really want to, you know, sometimes it can be confused with uh, complacency or disassociation or apathy, but we'll, we'll speak of more of equanimity as a wisdom factor and understanding of the nature of change, it's a sense of compassion, but also of balance. And so these 10 perfections are beautiful practices. And when the Hopi say that to, to keep our heads above the water, Perhaps this is, will be one of our greatest allies in working with our, the situation of, of being, uh, we don't know what's gonna happen, but we're here in this moment. And how do we work with these qualities as a way to keep our heads above the water? Maybe we can even swim, maybe we can even dance. Who knows what can happen as we keep our heads above the water and this cultivation of generosity, our ethical or virtuous ways, renunciation of those things that don't serve us, the qualities of wisdom and energy, our patienceness, our truthfulness, our determination, our loving kindness, and our equanimity. These are very beautiful qualities that we can support us keeping our head above the water and maybe much more so that we can learn to swim. These types of qualities support us in being in the unknown and trusting whatever will unfold and that we can meet it with an open heart. There's a beautiful poem by Patrick Overton and it says, when I come to the edge of all that I know and I step off into the abyss of the unknown, I will trust one of two things to happen. That I will find some firm ground to stand upon or I will be taught to fly. I come to the edge of all that I know and I step off into the abyss of the unknown, I will trust one of two things to happen, that I will find some firm ground to stand upon or I will be taught to fly. So thank you so much and may there be peace.